right, and we're back. This is Jennifer Stock with Ocean Currents, and I have Melissa Miller Henson from the state of California on the phone, Irina Kogan from Gulf of the Farallons National Marine Sanctuary on the phone, Fred Smith from the Environmental Action Committee of West Marin here on in the studio, and Tom Beatty, um, a local fisherman, um, also another regional stakeholder here in the studio. And so I want to continue the conversation about this Marine Life Protection Act and the work you've all been doing on the regional stakeholder group about the current draft proposals that are on the table right now. Um, I had a chance to look at some of the maps, which are all online, and it seems that there are some consensus amongst the proposals in the plan about where these um, reserves and conservation areas and marine parks should go. Can anyone help to maybe take a stab at describing the proposals as they relate to the West Marin Sonoma Coast and the Farallon Islands, or maybe talk about some of the proposals that are on the table? Well, I think, uh, you know, not supr- you, you alluded to it earlier, but it's interesting when all the groups sort of after we went through our first round of negotiations, it was interesting that all the groups actually sort of agreed on what the hotspot areas were. And that's not surprising. Often the areas that, you know, provide really great habitat for lots of fish are also the best places to go fishing and the best places to enjoy those resources. And so it's trying to create that balance between the two. But I think, uh, you know... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say for the, the listeners out there, the um, the areas that Fred's referring to for West Marin interest would be um, a zone off Bodega Head, a zone off the Point Reyes Headlands, um, part or all of Drake's Estero, um, perhaps um, off Duxbury, mm-hmm. perhaps Bolinas, one of the, I think one or two of the proposals have Bolinas Lagoon. Um, all of them have some configuration or another around the Farallons. And um, I guess there are a couple of the little, there's a, a, a small reserve down at the very south end of Tomales Bay. A couple of the proposals have um, reserve status given to um, the two Esteros between the mouth of Tomales Bay and, and Bodega. So that would be Estero San Antonio and Estero Americano. Um, and... Lots of important areas uh-huh. to consider. How about um, how do the next steps as far as there's all these di- there's four proposals currently on the table. Five. There's five proposals currently on the table. How do the groups now get to finalizing what those next recommendations will be? So taking everybody's proposals. Everybody's fighting here for how to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa needs to answer this oh, one. Melissa. She's, she's the gatekeeper. <laughs> So how, what are the next steps? How do we um, combine all these proposals into the next step, the next recommendation? Is everybody listening to this answer? This is the $64,000 question. The pressure is on. You can do it, Melissa. Yeah. Well, quite honestly, uh, there are a number of options about how we might get to a, to a final uh, resolution and, and final set of proposals or proposal. Um, but essentially, the bottom line is that we have uh, public workshops, we have a science advisory team uh, analysis, uh, staff analyses, and fish and game feasibility analysis. All that information comes back to our regional stakeholder group members. Staff will, will make an effort to uh, synthesize that information as, as much as possible to, to assist our stakeholders in digesting it, so to speak. And 
we'll do that in a couple of ways. We'll probably have another work session, um, or at least going to offer that up to our stakeholders, because they have a lot of work to do in order to come up with uh, the final uh, recommendation or recommendations to the Blue Ribbon Task Force, which um, they're tasked with doing on the 18th and 19th of March. So reality is they only have those two days. Um, this may take a little bit longer, and so we'll probably set up another work session uh, just you know, maybe a couple of weeks prior to that to give them sort of a jump start on some of those discussions that need to take place uh, among the different groups uh, about how how we might move forward and, and whether or not there's an opportunity to take those those five different uh, proposals and, and craft a single proposal or, or craft a, a couple of different proposals that can then be forwarded to the task force. Yeah, just to give a little background, um, you know, a number of months ago, I think we were at 10 proposals. And then we managed to winnow down to, um, I guess, five proposals, which is what we have right now. Uh, two of those proposals went straight through their individual subgroups. Uh, two of the proposals uh, were a combination of internal and external proposals. And then the fifth one was is, a, is a, a proposal that was made from an external group. So we have five proposals now that are now going through this next round of evaluations. And there were some external proposals as well submitted, correct? Um, there were th four external proposals. One dropped out. One is a standalone. And then, as Fred mentioned, two of those external proposals have hybridized in with some of the internal working groups. So I they're see. now uh, just treated as, as one. And then um, I don't know whether we were just what we were drinking back then, but uh, when we began this process, <laughs> we all consensed uh, during, I think, believe our first full meeting, consensed that our goal as a stakeholder group was going to be to come forward with a single preferred alternative, and um, which was something that didn't happen in the South Central Coast in the, in the last region before ours. And But we all sort of took a, took a pledge of some sort to play well together. And it'll be very interesting to see whether our 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 herders can get us through that final law. Uh, I can't imagine how hard it must be, Melissa, specifically for you to manage these diverse interests and these changes because they could be very uh, changing to people's economies and how they're going to survive. Um, it's it's less uh, about uh, managing these folks. <laughs> We don't attempt to manage these folks in any way, shape, or form. Um, it, it's really just managing the process and trying to help provide as much information as possible um, to to help inform the, the the recommendations that come forward. I mean, obviously, we are, are trying to assist the stakeholders in developing um, proposals that are going to help us achieve the goals of the Act as as is required, and yet at the same time minimize the potential impact on, on people's uh, livelihoods and, and, you know, personal enjoyment of our ocean and coastal resources. And so, um, you know, we, we, there's a number of ways in which we've, we've done that and information that we've gathered to help, to help us uh, achieve those goals. But, um, you know, the other thing to, to uh, uh, keep in mind is that, you know, the, while the Act doesn't say that we have to minimize socioeconomic impacts. Um, clearly, our, our regional stakeholder group members are attempting to do that, and, and they're, they're doing that in a number of ways. Um, from the stakeholders that are here, part of this show today, I'm wondering if you guys can just share what your thoughts are so far for the proposed recommendations. Are they within the range of what you were hoping for? And 
Let's let Irina go first on okay. that one. Okay, Irina, poor, poor girl. come on in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And there's no reverb this time, so <clears throat> all is well. Um, so the sanctuary going in didn't necessarily kind of have a, a you know, hoped for uh, network or anything like that. You know, for us, we were concerned that the, you know, we we're concerned about the process and we were concerned that, um, that the biological hotspots were being considered. And uh, the biological hotspots are very much being considered. Um, and so um, as far as we're concerned, and the stakeholders are, um, are very representative of the different interests for the area. It is a very open process. Um, the, the science team has been um, very helpful and, you know, have been very good about um, the, just the, the amount of information that they've provided to us. So, um, so as far as the sanctuary is concerned, you know, we're, um, we're pleased and it seems like things are going well. I would say from my perspective, uh, EAC's goal has always been, at least since the initial meetings, has been to do our best to actually, you know, successfully achieve the scientific advisory team's guidelines and direction, but at the same time provide as much flexibility as possible. And like, uh, it's been a really, really interesting experience being involved with these meetings, talking with all the different stakeholders and other interested citizens to really try and incorporate those those key factors in there. Like, you know, for example, allowing commercial salmon trolling lines, you know, to go through certain areas and um, making sure that, you know, mo- most key accessible ports and other areas are open and yet still trying to find a level of protection that works. Tom? Um, I, I guess I'm a skeptic by nature. <laughs> And although I guess I'm enough of an optimist to to be, invo- to be involved in this process, um, it seems to me that the from the fisherman's point of view, from a local fisherman's point of view, that we could probably live with almost any of the proposals that are out there in front of us. Uh, some would be better than others. Um, I think probably all of them have uh, areas that I would like to see cleaned up, tidied up, um, um, and my perspective on those comes from less of a user uh, because there's you always have somewhere else in the ocean you can fish so it's less of a user um interest on my part but more from a practical or pragmatic standpoint i think that some of the areas that have been proposed or being proposed uh will represent and this is just an example but will represent a, a challenge for enforcement that will be virtually impossible to overcome. And so if we're designing MPAs within an area that's essentially unenforceable because of its because of its distance from a roadway or distance from an uh, an overview or something, then what we're doing is we're reallocating the resource, taking it away from those of us that try to play by the rules and giving it to those people that don't know don't care or that actively look for a reserve because they think they're going to get more, bigger, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still anxious within our process that we haven't we haven't passed it through the filter of, of practicality as well as we should have. And I hope we can find the time to do I know it's, we're getting down to crunch time in terms of coming handing off our part of the program to the next stage, but I'm mm-hmm. hoping that we can um, take a serious look and, and maybe come up with something that's got a bit more practical. And I agree with you on that point. I, I, I think we're still sort of in that middle stage, and we still have a whole other round to go, and I, I agree with you that there's definitely some areas that need to be improved upon, it, that we definitely need to simplify things as, as well as clean them up and really 
because right now there are some some interesting combinations of MPAs that are out there that'll be as conf confusing to enforcement as to the public. If if you look, for example, at the internal group that I was working in, which was Turquoise Group, and we had our, our original uh, array out at the Farallon Islands, I think um, I think maybe it was you, Melissa, that described it as a piece of modern art. <laughs> it was it was the the geometric shapes, the the delineations were so remarkable. And I, knowing as a fisherman how hard it is to work with the current regulate within the current regulations, it's very hard to go out and spend a day fishing and and not break a law. I mean, it's right now, and when you start adding extra layers of where you can and what you can and cannot take cannot take in those areas and and in this is i speaking i'm a person that spends almost 100 days of the year out in the water so i've got a very profound knowledge of what's going on out there and it's still hard it to do it is very difficult to keep up yeah definitely well i i wanted to um ask one more question before we start wrapping it up and this is maybe directed towards Melissa or Irina, but you're all welcome to chime in. Um, even though this process is focused on state waters, is there a potential amongst federal agencies to expand the state network into federal waters? Or are there unique critical habitats in federal waters, too, that might be considered in the future for additional protections? So I guess I'll take a stab on that. That's a really good question, Jenny. It's a question we get a lot um, and because uh, there are other sanctuaries that um, – so other sanctuary, sanctuaries – um, start out at mean high water in, mo in most parts of the Gulf of Farallon Sanctuary. We start at mean high water and extend seaward. Um, we extend past the shelf slope break, so past the islands. Um, and so po a portion of the sanctuary overlaps um, state waters, but a portion is just um, is, is solely in federal waters. Um, and different sanctuaries have different plans for how to address um, uh, resource protection issues in federal waters. All of the sanctuaries are guided by our management plans. And uh, these plans are developed with stakeholder input. In fact, often they're developed um, by groups of stakeholders. And, um, and, in, and in the Gulf of the Farallons, we have a plan. That, and basically the way, the, way, um, the way our plan, our guiding document, is written is that if there are issues or problems that are identified in, um, in sanctuary waters, wherever they are, but in particular in federal waters in this case, um, that we bring that information um, back to our um, stakeholder advisory group, the Sanctuary Advisory Council, and we share that problem with them. And then we set up a working group, we get the appropriate stakeholders, and we work out solutions to the particular problems. And there are many different solutions that, you know, we could propose depending on the type of problem. And so marine protected areas are a potential tool that could be used, but there are lots of other tools that could be used, and we would consider them kind of on a case-by-case -case basis. So there isn't anything planned for um, federal MPAs in, sanctuary, in the Gulf of Farallon Sanctuary, um, but it just depends as, you know, as we go into the future what kinds of issues come up and what is the best way to address them. Thank you. Um, well, just to be thinking about wrapping up this conversation, I have some announcements for everybody after this. Um, but how can, Melissa, maybe this is for you, how can the public view proposals and learn about what's happened and participate in the future meetings coming up? Well, the first step would be if they have Internet access to visit our website, the dfg.ca.gov forward slash MLPA. And uh, all of the proposed draft proposals are on the website as well as uh, information about the various groups and when and where they meet and background information that's been prepared for each of those meetings. 
Or if uh, they don't have Internet access, they are welcome to call the MLPA offices at 916-654-1885, and we have those draft proposals uh, on CD, uh, that, uh, or we can send them to them in print copy, either way. I see. How about you, Fred? Is there a way you, um, people can get in touch with you about... Definitely. Um, my first phone number is uh, 415-663-9312. Email is uh, eac at svn.net and also at our website eacmarin.org. And Melissa, do you have the uh, the scheduled meetings in front of you? I do. I think it'd be great just to read those out and what times and locations and everything. Okay. Well, there's quite a few. Why don't I just, uh, the next couple, uh, we have a science advisory team on the 23rd of January in Pacifica. We have uh, public workshops the 4th, 5th, and 6th of February, on the 4th in Petaluma. Uh, those are in the evening, 6 to 9 p.m., the 5th in Wallala, and the 6th in Pacifica. And then we have a Blue Ribbon Task Force meeting uh, the 13th and 14th of February, also in Pacifica. The first day of that, the 13th, is actually a joint meeting with the California Fish and Game Commission. 